Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. Let's dive into Matthew 26. Open up your Bibles, get out your phones and open up your, your phone app. I have a confession to make as I begin this message this morning. I, uh, I stand here a little embarrassed as a pastor to say this, but it's true. I am not a natural prayer. Prayer is not something that, um, is, it just flows from me without much thought or preparation. I've, I've actually, in my walk with Jesus, had to do a lot of work to become uh, a more uh, a person who prays more more frequently and and learns how to pray. It's been a learning process for me. Let me just put it that way. And and so I love studying the prayers that you find in the Bible because there's so much insight that you can find about prayer life in the Bible. But there's another reason, especially that I love the prayers of Jesus, because. As we've been talking about in this, in this series, the ultimate fighter is not about Jesus coming to teach us how to be better fighters, or in this case, it's not so much about Jesus coming to teach us how to be prayer warriors. He's not in our corner, we're in his corner. Remember, Pastor Dan said? So the beauty of this prayer of Jesus is that Jesus is weaving a garment of righteousness for all of us. By which I mean Jesus lived perfectly in the will of God for his entire life so that his righteous acts, his, his goodness could be passed on to us, could be declared ours by a declaration of, of the Father. His, his stuff is transferred, his good stuff is transferred to our account. And that's true also of prayer. Prayer is part of this. So as you hear this message... Of course, we're going to glean some things about how to improve our prayer life from this, but the main point throughout the message is that Jesus is the ultimate fighter, and his prayer stands in the place of our prayer when we don't pray so well. Maybe we forget to pray, or, or we lose sight of prayer, or our prayers are stumbling, and, and we feel like they might be ineffective. The beauty and the wonder of the love of Jesus is that his prayers are our prayers, His heart is our heart. And that's all transferred to us when we receive the garment of righteousness that Jesus has woven for us out of all of his righteousness and good deeds. So I want you to think about this morning as we go through, remember what we've said from week one. Jesus is not in our corner. We are in Jesus' corner. We're watching him fight on our behalf for us. Now, as I said before, we're going to learn some valuable things, but think about that, that he is fighting for you. So let's dive into Matthew 26, 36 to 38. And Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. To the point of death, stay here and keep watch with me. 
Now, I don't know if you know this, but it is extremely ironic that the name of the place that Jesus is going to is called Gethsemane. Gethsemane, the na- the, that name means olive press. And the, and the reason that it was called olive press was that it was on the Mount of Olives to the east of Jerusalem. So Jesus has just come out of what we talked about last week. And I, I want to remind you that last week was a, a beautiful message about the means of grace, the word of God, baptism, the Lord's Supper, and how God empowers us to know Jesus as our Savior and strengthens our faith by, by plugging us into the power of the means of grace, word and sacrament. So this is the beautiful sort of twin message to that message on word and sacrament, how God offers his power to us, how God speaks to us. And we wanted to be very, very clear. Where do I go to connect with God? We said, here it is, the Bible, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. Now, the beauty of prayer, as we're going to see with Jesus, is that not only does God want us to hear his heart, but he wants himself to hear our heart. And that's what prayer is all about. If the means of grace are about God speaking to us powerfully, prayer is about us speaking back to God. Now, Jesus walks into the Garden of Gethsemane, the place that's called the Olive Press. It's this hill east of Jerusalem. It's terraced, and on the terraces, it has olive trees. This is a place where during the week approaching Jesus' arrest and crucifixion, he's been frequently leading his disciples to go there. It's dark because it's night. This is following what we learned last week uh, where they were in the upper room. They've come out of the upper room. They've walked from Jerusalem out to this garden where according to what the disciples are thinking, I'm sure they're, they're going to camp out and spend the night. Jesus knows that's not how it's all going to go down. And so his heart is beating hard, very hard. And the irony of that name, Gethsemane, Olive Press, is what he's beginning to experience. He is one of those olives coming under pressure now. Do you know how they harvested olives back in Jesus' day? First of all, they would shake the tree and the most ripe olives would just naturally fall to the ground to be gathered. That's what Jesus is beginning to feel. He's beginning to feel shaken. Then they would take next for the olives that were a little bit more stubborn and stayed up in the tree, they would take a stick and beat the remainder of of the olives out. Jesus Jesus is beginning to feel beaten, and he knows he's facing a a, a true physical beating. He is looking into the fighter's ring, and he can see that, at least from a physical point of view, this is going to be a very tough night and a very tough day to follow. And we'll talk more about that in a little bit. So Jesus is feeling the squeeze right now, and, and he's very open about this. He takes Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, they're also known as uh, the sons of thunder, Uh, Peter, James, and John. They go a little deeper into the garden, leaving the eight behind. 
And then Jesus goes a little further than that. But before he goes to pray, he says to these disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Notice right before that, Matthew reports he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Now you need to understand those words. Sorrowful literally means surprised and shocked with sorrow. Jesus is stepping into this and he's going, oh, what's happening? This is surprising to him. Now, you might think Jesus is the son of God. He's true God himself. How, how can he be sorrowful and troubled? He knows why he's come. He's powerful. But here we get a real glimpse into Jesus being truly human as well, his humanity. And, and, and what we see is that it is not a, a sin to experience human emotions. The Bible says it very clear that Jesus never once, though he faced temptation many times, never once fell into sin. And he's, he's very open in his humanity, in his humanness, he is, he is shocked by the, the, the feelings of sorrow that he's feeling. That word, word uh, troubled, means literally in horror at what he's facing. This is Jesus' state of mind. And what does he want from the disciples? In fact, what does he plain just want? Really only two things in this moment of deep distress. So take your pens out. Follow along with me in the notes. Here's what I want you to write down. When the son of God's soul was sorrowful, overwhelmed, and deeply troubled, he wanted two things. He wanted prayer. He wanted time with his father. And he wanted to be surrounded by those who loved him, and he wanted help from them being vigilant, being watchful. Jesus later on, as reported in the book of Luke, says, now is the hour of darkness. He knows that Satan is coming, the prince of darkness, to test him and try him one final time. What's Jesus' reaction? Going a little further, here's, here's what that prayer sounds like now. He fell with his face to the ground. He is, he is climbing into the ring. You can picture him separating the ropes. The ultimate fighter is coming into the ring, and before he does that, he falls with his face to the ground. Now, this is a prayer posture that, quite, uh, quite honestly, we rarely use today. And it's actually a prayer posture that was even rarely used back in Jesus' day. It was used to indicate deep humility and, and the feelings that Jesus is feeling, the sorrow and the being troubled. Jesus, you've seen pictures and paintings of Jesus leaning on a rock with his hands folded. Here it says, nope, he had his face buried in the dirt because of the sorrow and the trouble that he's feeling. I can remember only one time in my life when I ever prayed in that posture. I don't know how many times you've ever prayed in that posture. For me, the only time I ever prayed in this posture was when my daughter was born prematurely. Six weeks prematurely, and I was concerned whether she was going to live through the day. 
I had my face on the ground. This, this is Jesus with his face on the ground, and then he addresses God. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but you will. You know what's so interesting about this? For someone facing death, this is unique in all of ancient literature. You know stories of people facing death from ancient literature, from your high school and, and your, uh, your college classes. Think back, for example, in ancient Greek literature, Roman literature. Remember the story of the death of Socrates? He's about to drink his hemlock, and if you recall that story, he's gathered in a room with all of his disciples, and he's very calm, very collected, very detached. He's throwing off little philosophic one-liners and jokes to the, to the disciples. It's like, this is cool. I'm just going to drink this hemlock, and then I'll be gone. There's not Jesus here. Even if you look back into ancient Jewish literature, this is very unique. Read in the Apocrypha books like First or Second Maccabees. When, when people were facing death in ancient Jewish literature, it was usually hot-blooded, great courage, and a, a lot of talk about God. Jesus is facing death, and he's feeling something very deep and very real in this moment. And so he addresses his father. In fact, if you check it out in some of the other gospel accounts, you even hear this word, Abba, Father. My, my dear dad, my papa, the one that I am close to. And it's interesting, the prayer that he prays. It's, it's almost like he's, he's saying, Dad, can we bring a whiteboard out here? Let's whiteboard this. Could we brainstorm this a little bit? Because I'm thinking maybe there's some other way. If it's possible... Can this cup of suffering be, be taken away from me? What Jesus is experiencing here is much more than any of us will ever experience, and I think we need to understand that. See, when you and I are born as human beings into this world, from day one we are experiencing death. We are already on the road to dying all along the way, there are, there are little indicators to us of what death might be like when we fall ill. When, because as humans, we're born with the scent of death already in us. This is the Son of God. He's eternal. Death is the furthest thing from, from his divine nature as the Son of God. Secondly, he's facing bearing your sins and mine. And not just ours, but the sins of the entire world. All of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our shame, the weight of that is going to be laid on his shoulders after his body is beaten senseless, flayed, left in shreds, and he's nailed to a cross. He is going to carry your sins and my sins. He's facing that. Worst of all, he knows he's facing separation from the Father that he's never, ever been separated 
from because that is the very definition of what death is, separation from the Father and the Father's blessings. Physical death, we get separated from the Father's physical blessings. Spiritual death, we're separated spiritually from the Father. Eternal death, unbelievable to imagine, is being eternally separated from the Father and his blessings. Jesus is gonna experience that on the cross. He's facing all of this and he is overwhelmed. May this cup of suffering be taken away from me. It's very different from the apostles. Earlier in the evening, Jesus has told them, look, you're gonna fall away on account of me. I put this passage in your notes. Take a look at it with me. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. And Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Not gonna happen, Jesus. Jesus goes on to point out to Peter, oh yeah, it's, it will happen. It's going to. You're going to fall. You too, Peter. And Peter's response is, but Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, Jesus, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Do you see the difference here? The deep humility of our Savior in the garden, willing to say, Father, I'm not sure I can handle this. I'm not sure I can do this. And the disciples with their bravado and braggadocio saying, we can do this. And the difference, when we look at the difference in these two, it's so stark and so clear. The disciples' confidence is where? In themselves. And Jesus' only confidence is where? In his Abba, Father. I want you to write this down because it's, it's important as we watch Jesus in the ring for us, separating the ropes, being the ultimate fighter. This is part of his perfection that he gives to you, to me. Peter declared his self-confidence. Jesus does none of that. Jesus declares his father confidence. Jesus prays this way for a time. And we read next that then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. I can so relate to this. Maybe you can too. You've ever had those stressful days where you've ever said to yourself, you know what, this is just too much. I'm going back to bed, pulling the cover over my head, pillow here, and you just want so bad to escape into sleep. It's too much. You're overwhelmed. That's what's happening with the disciples. As much as they had boasted and bragged that they would never leave Jesus, never desert Jesus, even though they're physically present, they're already leaving. They're already out the door before they're out the door. They're not watching with Jesus. They're not praying with Jesus. They're escaping Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me 
for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Luke tells us that they were exhausted from sorrow. So Jesus says, wake up, boys. Be watchful, be vigilant. This is the hour of darkness. Satan is coming to tempt me and tempt all of us. Remember, I've already told you, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. This is not a time for sleep. This is the time for sober reflection and thought. Watch. And don't just watch. As I'm praying, I want you to pray also with me. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Do you know why Jesus wants you to watch? Because you too are gonna face your temptations as you go throughout life. Temptations are constantly flowing our direction. And first of all, Jesus wants us to be watchful because he wants us to simply be aware on the most basic foundational level that Satan is never gonna leave us alone. The world is not, never going to stop trying to influence, uh, influence us. Our own personal Benedict Arnold, our sinful nature that lives within us for the rest of our lives is constantly gonna be trying to trip us up and pull us back into Satan's camp. That's the reality, and we need, Jesus says, always, 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 as he's doing here for us, on our behalf, perfectly, to be watchful. Secondly, we have to be watchful because temptation by its very nature is subtle. It's so subtle. Jesus calls Satan a liar and the father of liars. He knows how to lay those temptations out like a snare, and there's always a piece of cheese in the middle of that snare. There's always a piece of cheese. And then, and then finally, Jesus tells us to watch because he has laid out an array of beautiful armor, which is all described in Ephesians 6. I want you to write, just write Ephesians 6 down somewhere on your crosswalk notes. Be watchful, Jesus says, because I've given you armor. Do you see it? And if you want to know what your armor is, I'm not going to go into it today. But if you want to know what your armor is, read Ephesians chapter 6. And watch and commit every day, as Paul tells us to in Ephesians 6, to put that armor on so that we are ready for Satan's temptations. Watch and pray. One of the reasons we need to pray is an important distinction, and, and I want you to hear this loud and clear. Your deepest desires do not always match your loudest desires. When you walk through a day, you are going to have desires that get very loud in your ear. Jesus, right here in the Garden of Gethsemane, has got some loud desires screaming in his ears. What are you thinking, brother? Do you realize how painful this is going to be? Do you see what's coming down the road? These are loud in Jesus' ears. And yet, do you notice how he prays? How he distinguishes between those very loud desires? 
those loud temptations and his real deep temptation, his real deep desires is to say, Father, not my will, but yours be done. My true deepest will, my, my deepest want, my deepest desire, Father, is to please you, to remain connected to you, to be your son. And to live out the plan that you designed for me to live out to save all of mankind by making this sacrifice for them, by loving them this much. That's my deepest desire. And Father, I understand I've got some, I've got some loud desires screaming at me right now, but not my will, not the will of those loud desires, but the will of my true deepest desires. That's the will that I want to follow. Think about it for just a moment. What are your loud desires? You have them too. Those loud temptations that keep coming back to you, the ones that you're tempted to say, well, that's just my heart. Got to follow my heart. My heart's telling me to do this. Who can deny their heart? Boy, I'm sure glad Jesus didn't think that way, aren't you? as he heard the very loud desires of his heart, the fear, the horror at what he was facing, but instead returned to his deepest desires to save you and me from our sins by climbing up on that cross and having nails driven through his hands to bear the the weight of all of our sins on his shoulders out of his immense love to win your salvation in mind, to win your forgiveness in mind, to win peace for your heart. In mine. Look at what the book of Hebrews says. It's, it's paint, this is painted in the book of Hebrews for us. The author there says, Jesus offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries. His deepest desires came out in his prayers. And tears to the one who could save him from death. This is a momentous battle, struggle. Put the gloves on. And you're going to experience this too. You're going to have to put the gloves on. Watchful prayer. Go back to last week's message. Be in the word. The sacraments. Because your loudest desires are often going to battle with your deepest desires. Jesus offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from And he was heard because of his reverent submission. All that means was... He was heard because his deepest desires were what were most important to him in his heart of hearts. And it's why he prayed, Father, not my will, but yours be done. So will you turn the page over? When I'm facing temptation, I will be humble. I will be vigilant, watchful, and most of all, prayerful. Now let me return to this thought. First of all, when you say this, I want you to hear this as Jesus saying this for you. We just watch a demonstration of it. This is Jesus saying, when I'm under extreme pressure and temptation on your behalf to weave your garment of righteousness, I will be humble, vigilant, and and most of all prayerful, and that's exactly what we see him doing for you, for me in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, as we respond in love to what Jesus first did for us, 
we can use those same words, those same thoughts. When we build a prayer life, even if for you, as it is for me, it it doesn't come naturally. It's not an easy thing to build a prayer life. Your prayers are are stumbling and halting, and, and you often forget to pray, and you're more often in the mindset of the disciples of, I can handle this. I don't need to be watchful and prayerful. Let me sleep. Even if all of that is true, Jesus first loved you to say this on your behalf, and now, as you build your prayer life, I want you to think about these things. Being humble, being vigilant, and being prayerful in your life. So powerful. Look at what happens to Jesus when he does this. Jesus went away a second time and and, and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. What a beautiful, beautiful fight is going on. And Jesus is carrying out the fight so wonderfully for us in prayer. He goes back after he finds the disciples asleep and prays a second time. This time, though, notice the slight change. If you turn back to the middle of the first page, Matthew 26, 39, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Now flip back to the passage that we're on. What does he say this time? Notice the change? Just slight, very subtle. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible. His heart is moving now away from the fear, away from the horror, back to the plan back to the original vision to save mankind, back to the Father's heart. If it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And then he comes back, finds the disciples asleep still, and he goes and he prays the same thing a third time, saying the the same thing. Here's Jesus, and, and again, on our behalf, weaving a garment of righteousness for us, Look at, look at what he's doing here. He's, he's living out the very things that he's taught his disciples about prayer and living them out perfectly in the moment of great pressure. Do you remember when, when Jesus once was, was caught praying by his disciples that they, they came up to him? This is much earlier in his ministry now. And the disciples say, Jesus, can you teach us to pray like that? And that's when Jesus teaches them the Lord's Prayer. Here's how I want you to pray. And he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. And and then he tells them a little parable. He says, "I, I want you to pray with shameless audacity. He actually uses those words. And the parable he uses to teach this shameless audacity is he talks about a person who receives a guest late, middle of the night, midnight, 1 a.m. in the morning, it's middle of the night, and the guest is calm, and they're tired, and they're hungry, and there's not much in the pantry. So this person goes and prays to their neighbor in the middle of the night. 
Can, do you have any food? I just got some guests. I need some help, brother. What, what do you got that you could give me that I could take care of my guests? And, and it, as you can imagine in the parable, what does that person say? Go away. <laughs> it's the middle of the night. I don't, I'm not, yes, I have food, but I'm not bringing it down right now. Everything's already locked up. We'll deal with this in the morning. Jesus says, but later, that friend who was being begged to gave that first man what he was praying for, what he was asking for because of his shameless audacity. Jesus is doing this here. Not once, not twice, but three times, shamelessly, audaciously, Jesus is persistent in his prayers to the Father. He's asking, he's seeking, he's knocking, just as he's told the disciples to do. And notice the address. Father. Remember what he's taught the disciples about this? If a son asks his father for a loaf of bread, will he give him a stone? If a son asks his father for a fish, will he give him a snake instead? Jesus has taught the disciples these very things. When you pray, you're going to pray through me to the heavenly father who is now also, because of your faith in me, your father. And he will hear you and he will answer you. And things are going to change. Either these things out here are going to change or as we see with Jesus, you're going to change. Your heart, your mind will shift as you say those prayers. Here's what I want you to write down. This is what Jesus is saying that I've done for you. It's also a great way for you to pray. I will pray persistently. It's what he's doing. Weaving that garment of righteousness. And Father confidently. This kind of prayer changes things. And most of all, me. Now, you, don't, you guys don't know this. Backstage, there's this beautiful stand. And I decided today it could be a beautiful object lesson. It, it sits back there. And on occasion, from time to time, I make the mistake of thinking that it's a good stand. But... This is the stand. So every now and then I'll come and bring my Bible and do that, and then everything falls off. You see, if you ask something to do something that it's not capable of doing because it just can't bear the weight, it's, uh, it's broken, it's busted, it's weak, it's tired, no matter how much faith I have, as I put my books, I've come on many times with, with great faith saying, this is a great stand, and put those books and all my papers, my sermon on there, and guess what? Every last time, they came tumbling off. I've tried to tuck it back in the corner back there so I don't make the same mistake over and over again. And then I always grab a, a stand like this. And what does that tell you? What Jesus is trying to teach us with how he prays is far more important than how fervent you are in your prayers is the one to whom you pray. 
It's just like this stand. I can trust this stand all day long. It's busted. This stand works. It might just a little bit, but it's not going anywhere. It's solid. It's firm. It's strong. And this is why Jesus says, when you pray, pray to the Father. Let him be the object of your faith. Let him be the one to whom you go. He will hear you and he will answer you. Pray persistently and Father confidently. That kind of prayer is going to change things and most of all, it's going to change you. So Jesus then returns to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Do you see how much Jesus has changed? Jesus has gone through, through this series of prayers from being a person who is horrified, overwhelmed. These are his words. Basically saying, Father, I don't know if I can handle this cup. This suffering that's coming my way to this resolute, determined, waking up the, the disciples and saying, Up, boys, let's go. It's time. What a beautiful, beautiful change that is in Jesus' heart that leads to him eventually going there for you and me to the cross. Through prayer, Jesus goes from, I'm not sure I can do this, to let's go, let's get this done. That's how the Father strengthens him. Jesus dies, he rises, he stays 40 days proving that he is truly resurrected. Over 500 people see him alive, and then he ascends into heaven, leaving the disciples, his own mother, and, and other believers behind. The, the believers, the book of Acts says, numbered about 120 at that time. And all of them had received this perfect garment of righteousness that Jesus had woven for them, including his perfect prayer life that now belonged to them as it belongs to you. And what do they do in response? Do you see it? What's their response to receiving Jesus' perfect prayers as their own? They all join together constantly. Will you circle that word? In prayer. Along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers, they all joined together constantly in prayer. As we, as we wind down the message, you know that I, I always like to ask this question when I preach the message. I know Pastor Dan does too. What do I want you to do differently as you leave the room? Well, first of all, I want you for sure to know that you have that garment of perfect prayer righteousness that Jesus has woven for you. Even if your prayers stink in the Father's eyes, you are perfect in prayer through Jesus' blood. I want you to hear that. I want you to receive that in faith. But secondly, I want you to be constant in prayer because it's a beautiful thing. It's a gift that God has given us. The same as the gift of the means of grace. Now, 
It's different in this way. The means of grace are God speaking into our hearts and filling our hearts. This is us taking from our hearts and giving back to God. But it's, it's critically important. Jesus himself commands us to pray. And it is a natural it's like a fruit of believing. It's going to want, you're going to want to, to let prayer flow. That's just how it is as a believer. But that doesn't mean you're going to be excellent at it from the word go. So I'm going to share a few quick things that I've learned about prayer. You can write them down anywhere you want. Number one, if you want to be constant in prayer, set a regular place and time. Every morning when I wake up, I go out on the back porch I have about a half hour of just reading the scriptures and then I pray every day, regular place and time. Attach it to regular things is number two. When you wake up in the morning, before you go to bed at night, when you eat meals, if you want to, you have this beautiful phone, set a little alarm for a prayer time during your day. Make it a habit. Number three, don't over-spiritualize it. Sometimes we back away from prayer because we're thinking of it as this big, big, big deal, too big of a deal. Last week we talked about how sometimes we don't think of communion deeply enough and spiritually enough and that we, that we make it too common. Well, the opposite is true of prayer sometimes that hinders us from prayer is we're over-spiritualizing it. Prayer is nothing more than having a conversation with God. You can talk to God if you can talk to some, the person sitting next to you. So don't over-spiritualize it. You're just simply talking to God. And you have the right to do so because of Jesus. Number four, make a list. I have a beautiful app in this phone called Evernote. When someone asks me for a prayer, typically the first thing I'll do is I don't say I will pray for you. You know what I say instead? Let's pray. That'd be a great habit change for all of us. Instead of, I will pray for you, let's pray right now. And then when I have a moment, I put it in Evernote. And when I get up in the morning and I read my Bible, many of you in this room are on my Evernote list because you've asked me for a prayer. Or maybe you're uh, uh, someone that just... I've you know, through the crosswalk notes or you're in a leadership position or what have you, you're on here and I pray and I ask God to bless you every day. It's called Evernote. You can put it on your phone. And finally, follow a pattern. I like the ACTS pattern, A-C-T-S. Adoration, which the first step of adoration is, Father, I adore you. Let me listen to you first and reading your Bible. C is confession, confess your sins. T is thanksgiving. You thank God for all the beautiful blessings in your life. And S comes last. It's the one that sometimes we naturally go to first. But S is supplication, and that's just a long churchy word for requests. What are you asking God for? A, adoration, which starts with listening to God. Confession, thanksgiving. Follow that pattern. Those are tips to make you constant in prayer. And then finally, Father confidently. 
When you pray, pray to a father who can hold you up. And the Bible promises it. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. You can be confident in your father because you can be confident in Jesus. You can be confident in the triune God to hear and answer your prayers. Here's what I want you to write down. Without prayer, we don't have a prayer. But Jesus can do more than all we ask or imagine. Let's pray. Father in heaven, first of all, thank you so much for Jesus' perfect prayer life. He always knew when he needed you, Father, and he went straight to you. Under great pressure, facing immense temptation, Jesus wove a garment of righteousness for me and for everyone in this room by living out his prayer life perfectly in our place. We thank you that you give us that and that you see us as perfect prayers already because of Jesus. Father, now transform our hearts, our minds, our lives, that we actually become what we already are, that during this life, in our sanctified life, we, we become more and more perfect in prayer, praying constantly. Whether it's these practical tips that I've shared at the end or simply remembering your word that we can pray persistently and Father confidently, help us to be reminded that prayer is, is a, a powerful tool in our hands. Ephesians 6 calls it that and that it is part of our armor. Help us to use it faithfully and regularly, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. I kind of want to send you out with this little mantra in your heart without prayer, I don't have a prayer, but there's actually a, a better way that I want you to think about it. You have the ultimate prayer, and therefore, in reality, your prayers are already perfect in the Father's eyes. Isn't that awesome? In grace, the ultimate prayer, the ultimate fighter is yours. Now, just go out and become what you already are in Jesus, a perfect prayer. Let me send you out with the, with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen.